0: Hello, and welcome to the Women's Soccer Coaching Podcast. This is where we take a deep dive into the challenges and opportunities faced by those who coach in the women's game. I'm Steph Fairbairn, and I'll introduce our special guest in just a moment. This podcast accompanies the October issue of Women's Soccer Coaching Magazine, which is available to subscribers right now. As well as the usual session plans and practices to inspire you, we have lots of fascinating features. Cassie Gray, from the Female Footballers Organization, explains why mental skills training has to be in all coaches' armory these days. We reveal how Disney is helping to inspire youngsters to take up soccer in England, and at the other end of the age scale, we talk to England women's over-40s coach Stuart Langworthy about walking football. We also ask, with most women's teams led by men right now, where are all the female coaches? But our main interview feature is with Heather Dyke. She is head coach of the University of New Mexico, on the technical staff of New Mexico United, a FIFA technical expert, the only woman on CONCACAF's education board, and founder and head coach of the Leeds Soccer Academy. She's also on the United Soccer Coaches Board of Directors. I'm pleased to say she took time out from all of that to talk to us. I started by asking what a typical day looks like for her.
1: Oh, man, that, that's a good question. Um, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you guys, you know, bringing attention to women in coaching and promoting that because I, I think there's a lot of really great women that um, you guys have done stories on, which is, which is pretty cool. So thank you for having me on. Um, a typical day for me right now, we're, we're in season. So I'm, I'm the head coach at the University of New Mexico. Right now, we, we train in the morning. We, for the most part, in the afternoon, uh, player meetings or, or video review or um, get ready for the next trip. Um, and then I spend quite a bit of my time um, in the evenings uh, teaching courses for U.S. Soccer or for CONCACAF, um, FIFA, some other things. So, for the most part during the day, I'm I'm all University of New Mexico, and in the evenings I've, I've been lucky enough to to teach some courses.
0: I think you know there'll be a lot of people listening to to this that are maybe in similar positions to you, of working multiple roles in the game or coaching alongside you know another day job, and then also have lives outside of that as well. So it's a lot of competing pressures. So how do you kind of balance all of those things to make sure you're you're
1: giving your best in every role? Poorly, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, it's um, you know, it's. I, I think when you have such a a passion for soccer, um, it can be really difficult to. Uh, yeah, to find that balance because I, I enjoy like when I have downtime, I want to go to a game or I want to watch a game. Or I mean, it, it's it's weird how much I enjoy the game. So it it is you know you, I think you have to compartmentalize some of it and really make sure that you do find time to um, put it away and be with your family and be with your loved ones and um, do things that make you happy because if not, you can you can head down a rabbit hole that I think can get pretty uh pretty too focused on on one thing. You know, so um, I have you know in my career really tried to set time aside to make sure the exercise to make sure that um you go outside you go hiking you go golfing you see your family and and make sure that you you get time for those important things
0: what about as well because I know you work in the adult game and in the youth game and and how do you kind of split focus between those two things as well
1: yeah so my my role I mean college players are probably right at the precipice of both you know so kind of youth game heading into adulthood. Um, and that that's my full time job. So University of New Mexico is, is you know, where I make my living and my passion and, and my program. So um, those young women are, are pretty cool to be around because you get to see them kind of come in as, as young sort of high school kids and leave and, and go out into the world ready to, you know, conquer and, and hopefully contribute in great ways. So I think that's been a really enjoyable piece of it. And then um, the other probably big role I have is probably coaching coaches. Um, and I, I think that's a very different mindset because when you're teaching adults, um, there, there's a different level of, um, yeah, the way you teach is different. I mean, anyone that's taking a coaching course is there because they want to learn and they want to get better and making sure that you can try to provide that information in a way that helps them to become better at their job is, is very different than coaching youth players. So um, it's kind of two different hats, but I, I enjoy both of them very much.
0: Okay, I'm gonna go between both hats, then I'll start with the player hat. And um I know for you one well you said one of the most important things is supporting working with people rather than, you know, just just players. So what does a people first rather than a player first approach look
1: like to you? That's a great question. Um I think it's one that you have to ask yourself consistently because when you are coaching, um you can get very focused on results and you can get very focused on um, the tactics and the recruiting and um, a lot of the things that you think are going to be what allow you to be successful. And in some ways they will be, I mean, you do have to win games and you do have to tactically be aware of what's going on and make sure that you're providing good information. But at the end of the day, coaching is a people job. I mean, it's, it's an investment in people and, and trying to help these young women see in themselves what sometimes I don't think they do that we do as coaches and that we do as people and um, find their confidence and find their voice and feel valued. And I think um, that's all any of us want really in anything that we do is to feel a part of it and feel that we have value and say, in in the organization that we're a part of. Um, And that to me is the best part of it is I I get to, you know, yeah, we've, you know, 28 players that were on, on this last group with us, and they're all pretty incredible young women. I mean, they're getting these great degrees and, Kind of finding themselves and, and doing these different things. If if you can help in that process in any way, that that's a whole lot more rewarding than it is just to win games.
0: And is that kind of the focus for the Lead Academy as well, for supporting these these girls beyond just football?
1: Yeah. So Lead Academy was created um, almost solely for that. Like I think if you go talk to young women, especially um, that are you know in puberty or or just about to start or or just finishing. Women really struggle with confidence. They struggle with the ability to uh, speak their voice without coming across as, you know, demeaning or, or rude. Or um, they have a hard time taking feedback. Sometimes they have a hard time wanting to stand out, um, being confident in what they do. And that's silly to me. Like I, I think, you know, there should be no difference in, in gender or your ability to recognize your strengths. Um, so we created Lead to really provide specific feedback for for young women and also to teach them some life habits that I think can go unseen. I mean, just making eye contact when someone is speaking, shaking hands, saying hello, being confident to speak in front of a group, um, being able to say what you're good at, which a lot of young women cannot do. A lot of women can't do. Um, So we created lead to try and create the safe environment for women to feel um, the opportunity to improve on all those, you know, with soccer being the, the avenue to do so.
0: On the confidence point, because I know you've recently taken up a role with New Mexico United, and I, I know you haven't been working with them for, for too long at the moment, but have you seen differences? Like, I, we had Denise Shilty brown on, on the podcast, and, and we were talking a yeah. bit about how sometimes boys go, I want to be the striker, I want to score all the goals, and sometimes girls are a bit more reluctant. So do you see a difference in confidence on the pitch as well as off it?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I haven't coached youth boys in, in a while, Um, but my experience with them was always, you know, similar to what you're saying that they boys are happy to stand out for whatever the reason is. like, they're happy to be the goofball. They're happy to be the, you know, the best player on the team. Um, and some of the young women don't want that. They so desperately want to be a part of a group. Um, and you see that in a lot of, you know, social studies on, on young women that the desire to be liked, the desire to be, um, to fit in can actually hurt you because I think when you see young women like, it, and they're, you know, excelling in sport, sometimes that they feel like that's an outcast. So they actually seek to not do it, which is, which is crazy. Um, but I think you can create an environment uh, in your training and, and in your, you know, whatever sport it is that it's okay to seek greatness. It's okay to um, fail. It's okay to be the best. It's okay, whatever it is, but, You just have to do it to the best of your ability and know that whatever that is, you know, you're still going to be liked and valued. So I do think there are differences in men and women. Um, I think some of those diminish a little bit as they get older. Uh, But without question, I mean, there's men, too, that struggle with confidence and struggle with self-belief and um, getting too critical of yourself on the pitch. And I think those things can be universal. So trying to teach techniques of of how you deal with that, um, hopefully in the long run, helps people just outside of sport as well.
0: Do you think as well there's something in us as coaches having to get okay with losing? Cause like it's natural, right? To want to win. And I feel like sometimes you've got to put, maybe put the result aside and see the bigger picture and what you've actually achieved in a game, even if you lose it and then transfer that to the players.
1: Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's a whole lot easier to, it is to say than it is to do, you know? Um, because I do think, we're all hopeful that if you can get all the pieces right, that it'll lead to wins because wins can create a more positive environment because people feel better about themselves. And, um, you know, we all question things less when, when you get a result, but I do think that if you're going to have any longevity in coaching, you have to be process driven. You have to be because you can do everything right. And you're still going to lose a game, especially in soccer, you know? So, um, finding like finding joy in the process is, is an important piece of it that I think a lot of people at some point lose. And I, I know, you know, everyone kind of ebbs and flows in and out of that because it's, it is pressure and it is dealing with parents and playing time and, you know, just the drama of sport. So, um, I I do think being very consistent about, uh, what you do and, and how well you do it and being passionate about it, um, leads to longevity because even when you win it's it, it can't be relief it has to be joy and I think if, if it goes the other way it starts to become too stressful.
0: So I guess leading on from that what what would you say are your core values as a coach and how do you make sure they they come through across all of your
1: roles? That's a good question we, we've been talking about that a lot as a staff actually is um, what's the most important thing and I think I think the number one thing is that our players feel cared about and and know that we'll show up if you need us, we'll be there, we'll show up, whatever it is, we'll be there. And, and that's outside of the field. Um, and hopefully that's you know the remainder of your relationship with them as things go forward. But you have to show up. You have to be there when people need you. You can't just be there when, when times are good. Um, I also believe in, in candor. I think it's very important that players know where they stand and they know um, what they need to do to get better. And they know that we'll be there to help them. Whether you're a 90 minute player, or you don't see the field. If you need our help, we'll be available. Um, and I think hopefully that leads to an environment where, you know, it can be kind of self-driven action instead of feeling that you're helpless to get to your goals. Um, uh, yeah. I think, I think those two things are important. A big one for me is fun. Like it, this is a game. It's, it's, you're supposed to enjoy it. Like it, it's okay to, to do things that seem silly or to do things that, you know, players just enjoy, but the, the people part of it is really what's going to keep you in the game
0: again on the fun point is it another balancing act between foot, like soccer being a results driven business and then also we, we need to have fun we need
1: we need to enjoy this i don't think so i think the two go hand in hand i mean i think when you um i, th- I don't think that discipline and fun are, are opposites i, th- I honestly think they're the same you know I, I think if you're in an environment where you know like okay now's our time to work and now's our time to play that you can work hard and play hard and, and it you know shouldn't we like shouldn't that be why we're doing this it's I think sometimes we get so driven by some other things that the stress of it weighs on you to a point where you stop enjoying it and that that's crazy like I get to wake up and put on sweats and go out to a beautiful field and coach a game I love to a bunch of young women that I think are amazing with a staff that I get to pick like that's really cool and if you lose sight of that then you know that's a shame
0: so going to the other hat I guess then so to the helping coaches Um, I know you mentioned, you mentioned that, and I know you mentored a couple of women, um, as part of the U S soccer, she champions mentorship program. So what was it that makes you want to get
1: involved in that kind of thing? Um, yeah, so coach education has been a passion of mine, like my whole career. I I think, um, I really enjoy listening to how different people interpret soccer and, and how, different people want to teach it and, and kind of the passion behind it. I don't think there's a right way to coach. And I think because of that, you can always explore these different avenues of trying to be better and trying to implement that with your team and trying to grow. Um, and I think coach education is a really great way of doing that because you get to be around other adults and hopefully share your ideas with them and hopefully share, you know, the ideas of, of the organization you're teaching for, but also listen and learn and, and see how they're going about it. And I think that sharing of ideas ultimately leads to better coaches on both sides. Um, and the same thing with mentoring. I, I, I've had some pretty incredible mentors in my career, um, but I never asked them to officially be my mentor. It was just people that were willing to look out for you and believe in you, you know? So um, U.S. Soccer's created this program called, the, you know, She Mentors Program, which is a really cool thing. So while um, women are taking their B or their A license, they're assigned to um, a more experienced coach or someone who's been been involved in the program and it's just check-ins like how are you doing with this how can I help um I'm struggling with team chemistry do you have any ideas I'm struggling with you know being the assistant coach I'm ready to be a head coach and and just kind of yeah trying to help out but my my two women that I had were both pretty incredible coaches that I think I learned a ton from too so it really ended up just being friends more than (laughs) mentorship mentee you know which is which is pretty cool
0: I think as well at the minute with social media there's so many coaches that are out there seeking ideas and trying to learn from from others but what you know if there there are coaches that are getting into a mentorship together terrible phrasing for me um what do you think a positive mentoring relationship looks like and what what kind of makes up
1: that mentoring you know I I think oftentimes people think that mentorship has to be like a hierarchy like someone has a a better job so they you know help promote you but I don't think that that necessarily needs to be the truth I, I think mentorship is really if I have ideas or experiences that you don't, how can I help share those with you? And how can I help you while you're going through them to not make it so rocky or bumpy? You know, I mean, it's like young female coaches here in New Mexico or male coaches, anyone. Um, it, how do you deal with parents? I've dealt with parents a lot. Like I have some great ideas that I could probably help you with that, because I think no one leaves football because of, you um, being on the field with the team. Everybody loves that part. It's all the other stuff that can weigh on you. And, and I think when you have someone that has been through it and can kind of help guide you through that process, um, it can be really helpful. And I know for me with with coach education, um, a few of my mentors and uh, like when I got hired as a college coach, I had never been in college. Um, so the amount of people I reached out to just going, what is this? And can you help me? And um, you know, when people reciprocate that and believe in you, it's such a cool thing. So I I don't think mentorship needs to be formal and will you be my mentor? Mostly I I think it's the willingness to reach out and say, I don't know, which can be hard as a coach and finding people that are willing to say, okay, I'm I'm happy to help walk you through this, you know? So it it doesn't have to be this big formal thing, but it's massively valuable.
0: Do you have any other tips for coaches that are maybe looking to develop or progress in
1: their career? Don't pretend you know what you don't know. I, I, I I think that, excuse me, I think that sounds a whole lot easier than it is Um, because when you're hired as a coach, you're supposed to know, you're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to have all these different ideas and make decisions. Um, And I think sometimes that can be really overwhelming and a a heavy burden to bear. But I think it's just, just fine thing to say, I don't know what I'm doing here. I need help. I'm not performing at the level I would like to at this. I need help, which is exactly what you want your players to do. So I think even being able to emulate that is an important piece for them to see that um, you need to be a lifelong learner and you need to have the humility to ask and, and know that other people are doing it at a higher level and a better level or just a different way. So I, I really think that a lot of people um, are afraid to say that you don't know or afraid to say, hey, I'm actually not good at this. Can you help me? Um, and I think that's an important piece in coaching It is the humility to, to ask for help. You coach, what what would you, how would you answer that question?
0: You're the first person on the podcast to put a question back at me. So I'm, uh... (laughs) Um, no, I would say the same thing I would say. And I I think I was referencing it earlier that sometimes I think it's hard to maybe let go of ego or expectations that you put on yourself as a coach or not to blame yourself for, for too much. But I would say take those expectations away, take that ego away put the work in do the reading all of that mm-hmm. and speak to i've really found value in networks and um particularly as a woman in coaching speaking to other women in those roles um and really because none of us are in it alone even though it can really feel like that sometimes when you're you know out coaching and there's 10 kids that won't listen to you and all these experiences we've had um everyone else has experienced that too so
1: yeah yeah i completely agree yeah you're like. not alone. That's for sure. It does get very isolated, though. It can, you know, um, and it, you feel like you're, you're carrying a lot of the, that burden on your shoulders. But you're right. If you can take a step back and, and just really focus on um, the quality of your of your work and educating yourself, that, that's a great a great way to focus.
0: I think as well, we had um, Yolanda Thomas and on the podcast and she said, remember why you coach, which I think is so important as well on the tough days to be like oh yeah that's why i got into this there is good stuff these tough days don't last forever so yeah
1: yeah that's that's valuable advice see we just have to ask and then you get good good feedback from other people so final question because i know
0: that there'll be a lot of coaches listening to this that really kind of admire your career path um that you've taken the different roles that you take up i know we've spoken about development but in terms of setting yourself goals for where you want to go in your career and you know maybe moving up the ranks if that's what you want to do what advice would you give to coaches about
1: carving their own path in the game yeah it's probably the number one thing I get asked because I do have such a kind of unique um way that I've, I've been able to kind of go about my career um but I honestly, and I don't think everyone always believes this, but I, I don't really have what I think is the next step in my head. I really don't. I, I, um, I've I tried to invest wholeheartedly in myself at being good at um, whatever it is that I'm working on doing. So if it's coach education, I'm studying teaching. I'm studying um, adult learners. I'm, I'm really diving into the curriculum and making sure that I feel very comfortable with it so that when I am teaching teaching, um, I'm ready, you know, and, and delivered courses in, you know, small town places where no one's ever seen a soccer ball. I've delivered courses in Caribbean islands where there's not a female in the room. Um, I've delivered courses where it's, it's high level pro players. Um, and, and so I, I think just making sure that you are educated and that you uh, you put the work in because doors will open for you, but you need to make sure that when those doors open that when you walk through that you're ready. I mean, it, it's not, I think one of the biggest tra- travesties in women's football is sometimes women get hired because we're women, but you're not ready for that job yet. And it's the same thing for men, but you don't get as many chances. So it is important that, you know, you've put your time and energy and you've educated yourself, whether that's, you know, education or reading or networking or, you know, practical experience, volunteer, say yes, go watch. Like I, I go watch the basketball coach coach. I go watch the football coach do what he does. I, I, because I just want to be better at what I do. Coaching is the ability to make sure that the information you have is, is being received and actually implemented. It's not, you know, it's, it's same as teaching it's, can you take this information or this desire that you have and then um, either student athletes or your players or your students implement it, they actually have to learn it. And so I think when you study education, it's not just um, giving information, it's, is the information received and can they actually do it? Like there's a, there's a cycle of learning. Um, and so when you watch people that are really good at delivering their information and then checking to see if their athletes understand it, um, I find that process fascinating. So that to me is, is teachers that's coaches. That's, um, it's kind of irrelevant of what sport you're, you know, teaching it's, can you get your message across? And without question, there's different ways of doing that. I mean, you see these very, um, like this hierarchy approach, like you're going to do what I say and you're going to get it done. And that can be effective because it's immediate results. Um, But I always question with that type of teaching, is it permanent or is it just a reaction to fear? Um, And then you see people that are are coaches that are very data driven. And I think sometimes that can be kind of paralysis by analysis for players. Like it's too much in their heads. Um, You see coaches that are of quiet and just talking in ear and then you wonder if the whole message is being received by the team like it's so to me i I just i i think it's very difficult to be a good coach i think it's very difficult to be a good teacher um and anything that i can steal or that's transferable from watching anyone else do it i'm gonna take even if i think it's bad and just go hey you know i don't think everybody got that message i'm gonna work on my delivery of it so Mm -hmm. it's it's a million different ideas but I love that piece of it. I want to be good at it. I think we owe it to our players to really invest in that process. Um, and then I think that way, when you do get opportunities, you'll get more because people see that, that you value it, that you appreciate it, but they're willing to work hard for what you get too.
0: I think the the point you made as well about um, no one leaves coaching from what happens on the field as well. I'm kind of in the UK, we're crying out for more football coaches or particularly really? female ones, but so it's kind of that balance between how do we get more people in but how do we also make sure the standard is high enough and also you go like I went and thinking, oh I'm gonna have the best time and then I had my first chat with a parent and I was like okay there's there's challenges here so how do we present a realistic view of what coaching is yet still attract people to it and also try and get them to hit standards I think is a real challenge
1: I heard someone say the other night, like, it's this big question is why don't more women coach, you know, and someone the other night, I thought this was so funny as they said, cause at some point they're smart enough to get out. <laughs> they cracked me up, it cracked me up, but it's, you know, like you're, you're having dinner with your family and you have an angry parent calling and you're like, this is not okay. Like this doesn't happen if you're a realtor, this doesn't happen if you're, I mean, even a teacher, people kind of respect boundaries, you know? but for some reason in coaching that, that disappears. And I do think it starts to weigh on you because you you don't go to practice and go, I'm going to try to make it really miserable for these five players today. It's quite the opposite. You're thinking, how do I make sure they're engaged? How do I make sure they're learning? How do I make sure they're growing? And then to hear that they're dissatisfied or they're frustrated simply because of playing time, like it, it weighs on you, you know? So that, yeah, that piece of it, that to me is why so many people leave. It's, it's just, at some point, you want to be able to walk away from it. If, if you're landscaping, the grass isn't calling you when you leave, you know. No one says, I hate being on the field with the team. I hate coaching the game. I hate, no one says that. Everybody loves that. So it's the other piece that I think we have to really, you know, delve into in mentorship and say, these are ways that you can deal with this. It's okay to say I'm turning my phone off at 7.30 at night. You can call me in the morning. It's okay.
0: That was Heather Dyke, head coach of the University of New Mexico. We thank Heather for her time and wish her all the best in her various roles. Don't forget, the October issue of Women's Soccer Coaching is available now. Visit www.womenssoccercoaching.com to subscribe. I'm Steph Fairburn. Thanks again for listening to the Women's Soccer Coaching Podcast.